Andrew. I'm ready, Dan. Impatient <laughs> <laughs> JJ. Welcome back, listeners, to the brighter side of blue, live from the Blue Line Technology Studio, our first sponsor. I'm Danny. I'm Tommy. I'm Jim. Oh, now he's Jim. Oh, he's Jim. Just feel a little zen. Okay. okay. Oh. <laughs> you never know what our little buddy over there is going to be. <laughs> or who he's going to be. Okay, Jim. Okay, Jim. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Jim. <laughs> I'll never say that again. <laughs> uh, shit. Who's this Jim character? <laughs> Uh, Sorry about that. Next week he's going to be Charles Nelson. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, Mike, that caught me off guard. Tommy, 351 cities. We just filmed our first uh, video, YouTube video of the Brighter Side of Blue. Podcast. That was fun. Yeah. It was unbelievable. We're in nine countries still. We're on all the continents, but we're missing Asia. Yep. We we can't ring in Asia yet. It's early. I think there's a... uh, could be a language barrier. No, no, no. <laughs> hey, I had a friend of mine that lived in Asia, or he played soccer with me in Quincy. I'll reach out to him. Is he still in Asia? No, he's here, but he's got family there. He's got <laughs> oh family there. Oh. Tell him to call his family. And just listen to the podcast. Right. Just download right. it once. Well, Ain't listen to it. Just download it once. Call this down to Harold's Chop Suey. They can send the word. <laughs> back send the word. Him. That's probably a better idea. Take a listen. <laughs> yeah, we're missing Asia as our continent. Let's call people. Have them yeah. click on you, stuff. Yeah, download stuff. No, someone in Asia, would you please call them and tell them? Just tell them, download an episode so we can get another another continent. JJ, how 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 can they get merch over in Asia once we get I have rolling? no idea about Asia. <laughs> no, is it made over there? They're not listening. <laughs> they probably get it before we do. <laughs> take, you know, it take a long time <laughs> to get it there. <laughs> take a right. <laughs> Just tell them to make it and uh, keep it. Uh, <laughs> That's wrong. Uh, and you want me to you you gotta tell our listeners how they can get some merch, dude. Well, you get on uh, any you you guys have to you get on any of our social media pages and the little logo that has our little badge with the microphone in it. If you scroll down, there's a little word that says more, and it's darker than the rest of the wording. You click on it. It'll open up our merch page, yep. and you just click on it, and then you can order. You'll and that's see. on the description of our podcast. Description, you know. Of, so when we describe, like, on this particular episode, want, what Jerry Layshock's going to talk about. Do you want to do about. this? No, but I, you forgot. You were you were confusing people. No, you're right. It's okay. I thought I was clear. No, you're clear. Right, I was just two, adding two things. You can support add a little us. bit. Like and share us our shorts or podcasts or videos will help our help us. Maybe we'll get to Asia. And then three, subscribe on YouTube. And if there's a little, there's a little bell, right, Tommy? Yep. You click that bell, and you'll be subscribed to it. Yep. And then, and then you get notifications. You get notifications. It's great. And then you can also number four, tell your friends, and have them share it. And then yep. number five, repeat the first four things that I said. Yep. I'll I think you need to repeat that every episode. That was a well, perfect I, description. I, did, I will. I will. You did good. So um, it'll be different every episode, but I will do the first. Now, Tommy, I have a question. He just read out how we, how we can do it, but are we still allowed on, um, <laughs> on TikTok? We got our first community guidelines ban um, on one of our shorts. What'd we do? It, it was, <laughs> and, um, if you took a, a, like a poll of our listeners and said, who would probably tell the story that would get us banned off of TikTok? Not banned, but one video taken off. And you said, which, which one of the, the co-hosts here would tell that story? Producer John would have definitely came in last place. But his story about Jimmy the short person um, <laughs> got us kicked off of TikTok for a community guideline for how uh, long? violation. No, we're right back on. Oh, good. Uh, good. It was just that particular video. Oh, God. Okay. Is this going to be on uh, TikTok, this segment here? No. Jimmy the midget. <laughs> <laughs> okay, see, now, Tommy. Come on, now. That outburst from producer John see, is the exact reason. Right. The exact reason we had to go and hire an executive producer. Yep. John, producer John has a boss. Now. I think he just turned you off. He's got some anger. <laughs> he, he, he turned me off. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Producer John Show. <laughs> I'm turning everybody else off. <laughs> yeah, uh, next week's show, we'll introduce our executive producer. Yep, Jack Milken, part of our family, and he's part of the police family. So. Exactly. Well, and, and, now and, and now he's That's, John's boss. And now he's John's boss. I love the guy. <laughs> this should all stop. He'll be a good producer boss, John. John. He'll be good for you. No, but from now, from this point forward, 
we're just going to go with short Jimmy. So we will no longer refer to him as like John did just a little bit ago, very angrily. That's Jimmy the Midget. But, but that's what he went by. We're going to go. I he calls that. himself Jimmy the Mar. Times have changed. <laughs> Times have changed, JJ. We're, we're getting with the. We're getting in. Jimmy hasn't changed. He's still short. Right. So that's why we're going. We'll call you Tall Jimmy. <laughs> tall Jimmy. Okay. Hey. Or Jim. Yeah, tall Jim. Please. Hey, Tall Jim. <laughs> I'm Jim. <laughs> I, didn't, uh, I made a mistake on that one. Yeah, no, you're, you're all right. But that leads right. me into my next thing, which because you kind of turned this uh, yourself around a little bit. <laughs> you brought out this Jim JJ Zen moment thing, yep. and it's really caught fire. Back by popular demand. It's very much backed by popular demand, and but it's how long it's, is this going to last, though? You, every week. It gives people peace. You're helping people. All right. With good, JJ Zen, there are good. no parameters on Zen. Right. My, okay, you got thoughts, dude. We need to hear them. Yeah, but before it, I mean, I think now's a good time. It, it's meant a lot to me. The right. Zen moment. Yep. It's worked so well that John, producer John, has given the JJ Zen moment some music. So hit the music, Johnny. JJ. All right. Well, this one comes from Jimmy Long. We, he and I went to Webster University together, and he... Wait a second. Jimmy Long is the opposite of Jimmy the Midget. Yes, Jimmy Long is Jimmy Long is my par- old partner in mobile, and now he's a DE agent. And I actually called him a day because he always had this saying. I couldn't remember it exactly. And he said that we got it from one of our teachers at Webster University. I believe you guys attended that school, right? You went to yeah, school? unbelievably so, yes. <laughs> you went to school? <laughs> you went to school? <laughs> oh, my re- God. What? School? People, hey, can I can I do my Zen moment yeah, here? Sorry. Yeah. This is what the teacher said. And I I really I do like this. And Jimmy read it off. He remembered it from the top of his head. Just bam. It's set, here it goes. Do more of what works. Do less of what doesn't. And try new things. Let me repeat that again. Is that yes, yes, please. Yeah. Please. I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> do more of what works. Do less of what doesn't. Okay. And try new things. I dig it. I, I dig it. I dig it. I dig it. I'm only going to give it a... I think Layshock would like that. I'm only going to give it a 6.2. Layshock would like that. I'm only going to give it a 6.2. All right, well. You can get better. Yeah, you can do better. Focus. I, I got like another one. Want to do another one? No. No, no. You only get one shot. You only get one shot. Really like, you know Jimmy Long liked it. He thought it was a good idea. No, it's because he wrote it or found it. He didn't write it. He found it. All right. Hey, your Zen moments are important to me because it's a failure. We can just stop the whole Zen thing. No, no never. Here he goes with the quitting thing. <laughs> the whole quitting. Hey, hang it's a lot in. Of pressure coming up with it. Saying, hang hey, you in. Just ripped the shit out of that one. Hang <laughs> in there, Jim. <laughs> tall Jim. Tall. Hang in there, tall Jim. <laughs> Jim, the tall guy. He just maxed and made fun of his long neck. <laughs> no, a lot <laughs> of a lot of people do. I never even noticed it until you said it. It hurts. Sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. Hey, the Zen moments caused me to reflect myself. <laughs> and uh, when we were talking about family, which you're going to take our family uh, story here. Family of the week. Family oh, of the week. Okay. But before we go to the family of the week, I owe last week's family of the week a, a little apology to Tony Locknick because uh, thinking about JJ's Zen moments realized made me realize that I said something that was totally inappropriate for us in blue. When I was talking about Tony, I said, hey, I, you know, we ought to take his badge. Hey, we don't take policemen's badges. We've buried brothers in uh, their badges. We've uh, we will be buried with our badges. That's something we don't take lightly, and we don't we don't joke no. about. So I apologize to Tony about that. He's a phenomenal policeman. He, he can be a jerk sometimes. I'm not going. <laughs> so I apologize for it. It'll never happen again. And it all became came to me after listening to your you know that's, moment. That's nice that you did that. Yeah, thanks. Well, it's true. We don't yeah. we don't do that. We've it's all nice that you to unfortunately the we've all buried friends and family right. with their badges, and, and yeah. so it's not something we make light of ever. So you did mention the um, Family of the Week. So we're going to have a Family of the Week in every uh, week. So this week we are going to stay on the same family. But I didn't – I knew it, but I didn't add them last week, is the Malacheks are related to the Lockenics. Many of you have heard from Tom Malachek. I think he was in Episode 2 when he talked about the governor's plane going down. Um, Great, great story. And um, he's a good friend of ours, and, and Tom is a cousin of the Lockenics, and they're married into the family. And Tom's father uh, married into the family, 
um, Tom Malachek Sr., who was also a policeman. So we're going to have to add them to the Lockenick family. Tom Sr. did 30 years, um, retired as a lieutenant, many, many prestigious assignments along the way, as you can imagine. I think he ended in juvenile, if I'm not mistaken. Then went on to be the director of security for Brown Shoe. And, all, and while he was there, he also held the position with the NFL while the Rams were in town. And he worked for the NFL as uh, in their security department here in St. Louis. And then um, we all know Tom Jr. We've heard many stories about him. We do want you to email us if you have a family of more than three. We're going to have to cut it off somewhere. So if you have a family and if, if family in law enforcement of three or more, love to hear from you. And we will acknowledge your family, and uh, we look forward to it. Yep. D- didn't you say we were, we were all one big family? We are. Then we should be the family of the week. We're always the family of the week. All That's an assumed Every family of the week. Where, where's that song? We are family. <laughs> there you go. That's, That's, That's JJ Zen. Zen. Oh. All right, moving on. I'm excited about this week's show. We have uh, the last in our legend series, number four. Yeah, chapter one of the Legend series yes. is closing at number four with Lieutenant Colonel Jerry Leshock, who uh, is a dear friend of mine and my family's and uh, a mentor of mine. And he's come on, and he, what a great show. Well, and it was a pleasure having Jerry on, and it was great stories. And, and Jerry's a very big uh, follower of us now and, and has suggestions for shows that we're going to use. And um, one of the things about the whole Legend series that we've put on is those guys from Joe Spee Sr., Joe Burgoon, Harry Hager, and Jerry Leshock have meant and changed the careers of many, many people. Um, I didn't have the pleasure of working with any of them um, as far as, in, in, unfortunately. Right. They were, um, and I, and I, but you hear the stories, and and I, I knew they were legends from the, you know, just growing up in the police department. You hear those names all the time. Well, what's really, and then when we were coming up with the idea of this podcast, is that we were talking about what can we talk about, what who can we get on, and all three of you guys were just we got to get Jerry Layshock on, we got to get Jerry Layshock on, and it's because. You guys have all worked with Jerry, worked for Jerry, and moved up the police department with Jerry, and he's meant a lot to you guys. Um, so I would like to just move to just go and, and let's just start with you, JJ. Tell tell us a little bit about Jerry and what he's meant to you. Well, Jerry is probably the most well-known policeman in my ear. Every person on the street would call him Layshaw, Layshaw, and and I learned so much from him just from he was in he actually got put out of narcotics or we don't want to get in down that path but when I first got out and he was just making arrests and he was just everybody was scared of Layshaw because he was just on the streets and he was sneaking in houses and I learned how to I learned he that he wasn't was, doing that that was the myth he wasn't sneaking in houses just on them on them right no, he was sneaking in houses and doing surveillance. Vacant houses. Vacant houses. Yeah, I'm sorry. I should have been a little clearer. That's kind of important. But he was going vacant houses, and he watched dope sets. And, t- and okay. Danny's going to tell a story later about him. Um, to me, though, he was just, a, I mean, he was like everything. And I didn't get to, I got to know him through softball. He, you know, he asked me to play softball. And Danny and I, he, we played basketball in the Police Olympics with him. He ran the team. For one year, and, and Danny and I figured out that the basketball court didn't have enough balls for either of us because we both never saw a shot we didn't like. Yeah, but I was always uh, open. He was, and he always had, always had a clean shot. I mean, I thought I thought I was a uh, a ball hawk. Holy crap! But anyway, let's move on. I was a better shooter. He was a good shooter. Danny was a good shooter. But um, Jerry, he I got to know him really well working for him at the Bush Stadium, and just a great guy. And he's always interested in what you have to say. But early before that, I was in SWAT, and I, we get to work out in SWAT, and we go to the gym twice a week before we start our shift, and he was always in the gym. So I'm working out. He's got done working out. I'm walking towards the track, and he was like a captain at the time. And so he says, hey, Jim, you mind if I run with you? Well, I can tell a captain, no, I don't want to run with me. So I'm like, yeah, come on. So he's just a good good guy. So we ran. And then we went up there and ran. I think we probably – I always did three miles, and Jerry can just run like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. So we ran, and we had a conversation the entire time. And he was just interested in everything I had to say and just, just a great conversationalist. And I got done. I'm thinking, you know what? How many 
people in general, much less a captain. He was a captain. Everybody else was watching me like, wow, JJ's running around with the captain. And well, a legendary captain for me and for most. And I said, you know what, uh, Captain, you're the one few people in this world that you ask a question. Most people of, of rank, of any rank, they're not really interested in what we have to say. But when you ask a question, you are actually interested in what we have to say. And he, that is a trait of his. When he asks you a question, you know him. Uh, and, J- and John, you know what? When he asks you something, he really wants to know what you have to Absolutely. say. And that's a great quality because most people, probably some of us, we don't want to hear other people what they have to say. We just want to tell our story. But he's actually interested in, he's a most, one of the most, to me, he's one of the most interesting men there is. Uh, he should write a book. He's, uh, let's say, we well, I think him. you referred to him as a Renaissance man. Right. Yep. I like he that. is. He truly is. So, anyway, I'm, you know, and I don't need to kiss up to him now. He's not even. He's my DraftKings golf partner, and uh, we're friends. I talk to him every week, but he's a good man. He's got great stories. Meant a lot to you. He does. He's a. Yeah. Good, he's just. He really is an interesting person. So, Danny, you got a funny one for us. What do you got? Well, yeah, but, I mean, I I do have so many funny stories because uh, uh, Colonel Leshock and I were actually partners for a while when he came out of of narcotics. We rode together in the Eighth District, and he's um, always been a mentor, an unbelievable friend. He's a friend of my entire family. My mother, my deceased father, everybody knew Jerry very well. My whole family knows him very well. Um, he is a man of ethical standards of beyond compare. I mean, unbelievable. Um, and but, Which but probably he, made it hard for you to be involved. With. Well, no. Well, he he taught me. I I couldn't. I, he kept me straight. I mean, seriously. His I kid mean, he, no. He he kept me straight. He taught me everything I know about policing. Um, but I, but he. A couple things about him I can't help but mention. He, number one, we mentioned it earlier in the show. He's a terrible driver. The, the worst driver. <laughs> That's mentioned in episode three, or yeah. uh, episode every, three, the dumpsters. never met a dumpster yeah. he didn't want to hit with a car and then didn't want to report it. He was a terrible driver. <laughs> but he was a genius, and uh, really quickly after he came out riding with me, we, were, uh, we went in plain clothes to do drug investigations, and there was a, a dope set on Paige and Sarah up in the 8th District, and they were selling buttons of heroin. And, you know, before Jerry came along, I was always watching this dope set, wishing that I could catch these guys dirty with the dope, and I could never, ever. I'd stop them a million times. see them gathering and doing their thing, but I could never you know find what they the were dope. Doing, right? I knew what they were doing, right. and uh, they all had the records to back it up. Right. But I could never catch them. So Jerry comes on board, and I say, hey, there's a dope set at Sarah and Paige. I can't conquer it. I don't know what to, you know, whatever. <laughs> And he goes, Jerry says, well, you know, you work 7 to 3? Yeah. He goes, well, they get out there at 5.30, 6 in the morning. So if you think you're going to come to work at 7 and catch the dope man, you're not. He said, so we meet me at 5 a.m. We go into a, a vacant, destroyed building across the street from the dope set. We get up there with binoculars, and there's nobody on the dope set yet. It's still too early. And then uh, um, all of a sudden... They start showing up, and I'll be damned about, I don't know, 6.30, 6.45 in the morning. This guy goes over about 100 yards away from the corner, and he lifts up a rock, couple rocks, and he stashes something underneath there. Obviously, it's the, it's it's the heroin. Stash. It's the stash. And then comes back about 100 yards. He's on the corner, and they're, they're all out there. And um, So we climb back out of the, uh, out of the vacant building. We get in our unmarked car, and we drive around for a while, and then we we pull up, and, he, and Jerry tells me, Danny, you go engage the guys and start getting some names, even though we knew all their names. Um, just start talking to them. And he goes, I got this. So I go up there, and I, I knew them all by name. I was like, what are you guys doing? You know, blah, blah, blah. And Jerry comes up behind me, and he's got this uh, <laughs> long twig. It's like a long branch. Like a V-shaped vein? Like, like, a, v- what? like, like a weather vein. Like a weather vein. And he's you got uh, a hand on each end? <laughs> he's got a hand on both, and, it, and it's a long branch. Right. And I didn't even know what he's doing. Okay, <laughs> and he's and he's Jerry's. I'm with like six guys, all with narcotics records. They all know Lakeshaw. They all know Lakeshaw. And uh, Jerry's just over to the left, and he just he's just walking around with this weather vane <laughs> stick, and he's just going around. And, 
Searching. It's like a divining rod. Divine. Right. Divine. There that's you a, that's there you a, go. We that's kept calling it right a weather vane. I just beat that up. Yeah. And I followed after JJ and went with yeah, the weather vane. You went thing. right with it. I knew what you were talking about, too. I know, but I shouldn't. Producer just John just thanks. nailed that's it again. Why producer, that's why you're producer John. He just nails shit. You saved the whole story. JJ was a weather vane. People are like, I'm on top of a roof spinning around like north. You jumped right on I was just setting you up. I did it on purpose. Jesus. Thanks, John. Go ahead. Thanks. I learned that at Webster University. School? All right. So what's it's it called? Cool. It's called a div- divining rod. Divining, divining rod. I would yeah. never. I forgot. That, but he's now. So now the listeners know. Um, right. In a, in so he's walking around, hand on each end. Hand on each end. They're walking around, and these guys are starting. They're not looking at me now. They're looking at uh, Jerry and they're Blake like, Shaw. They're like Howard. What's he doing? And I look over, and Jerry told me the word. I go, well, You don't know? They go, No. What's he doing? What's wrong with Lake Shaw? I go, That's the dope stick. <laughs> and they go dope stick. I go yeah. I go, don't worry about it. I go, you guys told me they're not doing anything around here. There's right. nothing Ain't no dope around here. Around here. No, no big dope deal. Around. Don't worry about it. I go. But he'll just go on this little hunt with that dope stick. If there's dope around here, it's gonna lead him right to it. They're like get the hell out of here. I go. I know. No, we have nothing to worry about, guys. You don't have any dope out here. Jerry walks right over to those stones. That divining rod leading them right there. He, and he says, Danny, I think I got something. I think I got something. <laughs> It's showing me something. I go, guys, stay here. Nobody leave. Jerry lifts yeah. up the rocks, and there's a couple of things about the sixty buttons of heroin. Nobody ran. Is, nobody ran because they were they were in a they, they were, were a stall. They were in awe of the divining shock. rod. They were in shock. The dope rod, dope stick. They, and, and for us, first of all, we knew exactly who put it there, so we knew who we were going to arrest because right. we watched them. But that's a secret. But they go, oh hell no, Leisha, <laughs> dope stick, Leisha. He free cased them. No, no, he didn't. But that's let me tell you something. Saying, I guarantee that's what they said. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, what they want to Yeah, that's what they told her friends. Am I? Okay. <laughs> so we locked, don't the, we locked the guy up to put the 60 buttons there. But let me tell you something. Over the next three years or so or that I rode with Jerry, every dope set we went to, they knew about the dope stick. And, they, and the old wise old heads would say, don't, don't let... Leshock pick up that dope stick. You, you're going to jail. <laughs> My Jerry story um, goes back to two, late 2001. I had just gotten transferred out of intelligence as a sergeant. And um, Joe Mook ended up putting me in, in uh, internal affairs. I didn't really want to go, but uh, it was a good, good landing spot. And the deputy commander was none other than Danny, Dan Howard. So we had a great time, um, but I really missed being on the street. And I was always, you know, threatening Dan to, to get out of there. And he said, to st- you know, to stay here, stay with me. So one day Jerry Layshock walked in the office. And so I, I was in Dan's office. I said, what's Jerry doing up here? And he said, well, he's starting this new housing authority unit. He's going to ask Ryan Clyer, who's a legendary sergeant on his own. And uh, we're trying to get Ryan on the show uh, yep. sometime soon. But, um, but he's going to offer Ron the job as a sergeant in the new unit. So uh, Ron turned it down. He's getting ready to retire. He didn't want to, you know, have to, you know, get involved in that. So um, Jerry did come to me and ask me for the, uh, you know, if I want the job. So I said yes, and and Dan got pissed off because I was <laughs> leaving him, and you know, but it was nothing personal, Dan. But the, the you know. No offense taken, John. But it was a good thing. We, you know, we started. You know, we started this unit. Uh, you know, we recruited officers to go down there, and it was just fun working with Jerry on that. He he gave us free reign to do what we thought was going to work, and it did work. And uh, I was just grateful for it. And and I, I spent five years in, in housing with Jerry. And, yep. And you guys talk about that in the clips that are coming up. That are that it was special to Jerry and it was special to you guys, and it was neat. Yeah. It was a neat uh, thing that you guys actually started, got rolling, and it still rolls today. And JJ, you were a um, you were a commander in uh, the housing unit too. Yes, right? I was. Yep. Left left there only because the mobile open yeah. spot opened. So it, it was mm-hmm. a fun unit. Well, I think it's time to go ahead and listen to uh, our last legend of this series, number four, Colonel yeah. Colonel Leshock. Can I uh, interrupt real quick? Uh, just uh, on a personal note. Uh, Tuesday, uh, the 30th, is the 20th anniversary of police officer Nick Sloan getting killed. Uh, Nick's dad, Terry, was one of my mentors. He's one of my sergeants. I'm very close with the Sloan family. 
and I knew Nick since he was a little boy in grade school, and it was just uh, a really sad time. And and you know, just our thoughts are out to the Sloan family. I talked to Nick's mom, Chris, yesterday, and and she's holding up pretty well, considering uh, Terry died almost six years ago. So it's it's been a rough. Uh, run but she's a really tough lady and, and it's a tough family and uh, I just wanted to uh, you know, recognize Nick yeah, and, good, um, yeah. yeah. I, and unfortunately guys well said, we're getting yeah. some texts just came in um, you guys are on the text thread too I had a chance to read them while you guys were talking um, Johnny Burke um, who is a retired lieutenant from the police department legend in his own self um, just needs some prayers um, he's battling he's up against it and uh, he needs some prayers. Uh, we had the honor of of interviewing Johnny a week ago, and um, we're going to get that to you guys. Um, Johnny talks about his career, and uh, we're going to get that guy get that out to you in a special episode. But uh, he's again, a warrior legend, and he's up yeah, against he's tough, it. So he's a tough dude. Prayers out to him and his family. Absolutely. And uh, with that, and then it's kind of fitting that. Uh, you know, with the Sloan dedication that you did, John, and and unfortunately with Johnny Burke, um, but they were both very close to Jerry too. So yeah, true that. Um, but so. sorry to to lead into the legend or the to the Jerry stories, but uh, you're you're going to really enjoy these, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Actually, we will actually see you next week because it's no. video recorded. Yeah, scary. Come yeah. on now. There you go. Peace. All right, guys. Peace. What do you got to say about old Jerry Layshock there, well, JJ? I ran into his neighbor, Judge Stelzer, a couple weeks right? ago. Is he all right? Is he okay? Well, I didn't run into him. Running. I, just met, <laughs> I saw him at the soccer game. Okay, Thank gotcha. you very much. Or, actually, gotcha. I don't remember where I saw him, but I did see him. And we brought up Jerry, Jerry's name, and he said that uh, he called him a renaissance man. Renaissance man. I, I like that, it. And he said, and, he, and it's actually true. He says he... He, he one day they were have a they were at a family there some function in the neighborhood there was a piano there and Colonel Ashok sat down and can play the piano like nobody's business he's a he's an accomplished pianist yes he actually teaches inner city kids at 12th and Park on a regular basis weekly teaches inner city kids he also teaches chess he's a mentor for young inner city kids on the chess right mm -hmm. yep. do you still volunteer at a food kitchen or at a no I'm now I'm at Oasis International. Oasis International, you can talk about that too. And then what else? I mean, he just does everything. And he's a cut man. He's been in major pro cut man. Pro cut pro man. Pro he's cut man. he's trained professional boxers. He's had him in his in his uh, under his realm. Missouri and, Boxing Hall of Fame. Colonel, you took over a new unit. I think you probably named it, but the Housing Authority Unit. Right. And can you just tell us about that transition? You know, that was interesting. That's something the police department worked on with the housing authority. And uh, John knows, because he's one of the first sergeants in the unit, the, uh, the one of the first four sergeants in the unit. It's just a lieutenant. I was a lieutenant. I'm on the sergeant. Mount Rushmore of the first sergeants oh, the in, <laughs> in housing authority. Oh, exactly. <laughs> but um, the police department entered, became involved in discussions with Cheryl Lovell and Robert Batts, two of the neatest people you know, we ever met. And just they, they wanted to help finance a unit that would only patrol public housing. And it was uh, Blue Meyer, Cochran, LaSalle, Clint Peabody. And, you know, um, Jim Joyner knows. I mean, it was so violent in the Peabody and the Cochran and, and plenty of violence in the Blue Meyer. And, and it, they had security officers, they had off-duty officers, but they, she wanted somebody, you couldn't, so part of the contract was we, did, we couldn't get a detail, we, we, we didn't work VP fair, we couldn't get a detail, uh, couldn't, couldn't leave the developments. But we may have a story about that a little later, but um, we, we were dedicated to the public housing, those four. Well, I'll just say one thing, when before you took over the housing, I was in Mobile Reserve, and when we'd have a long week, and the, our Friday was up, and we, they would say, hey, and Joe Spice would tell us, hey, you guys had a good week, go, uh, go make an arrest, and we'll kick you out of here. So first in, first out. So we'd go hightail it to the Peabody's, and we'd have a car parked on, was it, 14th, and we'd do a walkthrough, and then stir something up and get in a foot pursuit and catch somebody with 
Well, we've had some really good arrests with crack, but then when, when Jerry took over, we were told that was off limits. He's got it. He don't want us messing with his, his housing area, that he has enough officers and he'll take care of it himself. Damn right. And we, that sucked because we couldn't go, go in there for our, yeah, our uh, first in, first out arrest. So, no yeah, more fishing in a barrel? We knew not to go in there, yep. Yeah. But, you know, Danny, we, uh, John and I sat down, crunched numbers, looking at all the calls for shots fired, and especially in the Peabody and the shootings. And um, we knew we had our work cut out for us. I asked then uh, Chief Joe Mokwa, I, I reached out to the Chicago Police Department. And we're, we're better to talk to learn about policing in big time public housing venues than Chicago. And we, we took a trip up there. And we took it a was, road trip. Took a road trip. John Frank, Renee Creesman, Kenny Newsom, and Sean. Sean Dace. Um, went up there, and it must have been 10 degrees out. And they have two big housing authority vans that we're going to go in. Uh, I think John and I were with the commander, uh, Commander Brown. Yeah, he was that, great. What's that rank? Just above, is above, just above captain. There, they, it's actually a rank. Yeah, commander. commander. Yeah. So and so he's a neat guy, and uh, but what's interesting is, um, was it the Harold Icky Homes? Did we? Did we? I think it was a Harold Icky Homes we may have gone into, or what's a Harold Icky Home what, for our listeners? We have p- people listening in from London. Ford, the did, same kind of housing. We didn't authority. go to Capri like Green. No. We went, I used to know all the names of those. Uh, it's a development, but it, yeah, high rise, and mm-hmm. we yeah, drive thousands and thousands of people. So he is telling us these guys. Yeah, we used to have a heroin problem. He goes, we don't have any problems anymore like that. Not once since we took over. And, and he's a neat guy, but he's really touting his unit and all that. So as we go in there, I see a, a Mexican man and a Mexican woman, uh, woman in, in a little hot dog stand. Like I mean, it's like 10 degrees out. I mean, it's, in Chicago, it's so windy. It is freezing. And I mean, this place is teeming with people. And while he's telling me how they've got it on lockdown and all that, I, me and John are looking at each other. I probably saw 15 different heroin deals going down. I think I saw a homicide while we were there. We got it on lockdown, though. We got it on lockdown. Was it the guy that stole your I'd truck? I'd hate to see what it was before you took over. Right. right. But, John, if you remember, I think that uh, I read the uh, I read the everything I could on the uh, broken windows theory. Right. I even called the guy that was the uh, was wrote, the wrote a book that? about it and all that. I'm broke as a project window. That said was, if you yeah. you allow a window to be broken in two weeks, there'll be ten windows broken. He goes the same way with the crime. If you're not cracking down on the little things, then things are just going to spiral. Right. And I, and so what we we did we we recruited, and um, so I let John pick four or five guys. We had. What did we start? Twenty officers? I can't remember, John. Well, we started with one complex, and that was LaSalle. LaSalle. So I think we had like eight officers, to maybe, off. to start with. And do we end up with twenty? Yeah. Then we got twenty. I think we went to twenty when we went across the street to the Peabody, and then, you know, we went from there. Then we went from there to Cochrane, then Bluemeyer. Yeah. So um, LaSalle, that was a good way to start, just to get a feel for things. But then we went to Peabody. And, um, I mean, gosh darn, it was so wild. It was just so wild. We, we had right a guy, we, we would go up Shoto, and Jerry's like, don't go in, because we wanted to go into the Peabody's. We were, you know, this <laughs> the right the street. street. Yeah, because right. it, it, oh. it was a couple blocks away, and there was a lot of traffic in between the two complexes. And we would go up uh, Shoto, and every, every night we would drive by, and this kid would come out, and look at us right in the eye and give us the finger. <laughs> and he would just laugh and, and all that. And we would just keep driving, you know. And 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 we're all telling each other, it's like, all right, one of these just days. wait. Because we've got a couple one more weeks. These, one of these days. A couple more weeks, uh, we're going to change this guy's uh, style. So so anyway, we, we, we go in LaSalle. We meet some of the, you know, the people and... and and, and I, I think everybody here that was in housing, 90% of the people who live in these complexes are great people. They, mm-hmm. they're, they're not there. For, the only reason they're there is because they, they don't have the money to live somewhere else. So it was a, um, it was a good uh, relationship we had with most of the people who lived there, except for the ones who didn't want to um, you know, abide. You know, you know, abide by the law. So 
so we, we finally we get our extra officers and, and uh, we decide just to uh, do like we usually do. And I think Larry Plyman was with me and we're just driving up uh, Shoto and the guy gives us a finger and I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And, but this time we stop and oh. we jump out. Well, he takes off running up the gangway, laughing. Well, he didn't know that there was like six guys at the other, six police officers at the other end of the gangway, and uh, he got locked up for trespassing. And because he was trespassing, yes, he didn't even live there. But uh, well, that would be the trespassing, John. We never saw him again after that. (laughs) We we um, it sounds small, but you didn't want people that weren't residents out there selling dope doing whatever they were doing even even guys working on their cars they, you don't want to see all this nonsense out yeah. there in the parking lot that half of them didn't even live there so we we had to have a lot of meetings and they grew more and more and and now and then some people would say hey you're harassing so and so and we talk about our philosophy and what we were trying to do and john and i Personally, we were there for five years. Started at the beginning, there for five years. And at the end, we had the Christmas program. Hey, Danny, you don't even know this. I don't know who, I think it was you. I don't know, uh, John. Had, we had uh, bike, bicycle training. We gave some bikes away. We had a little obstacle course. Yeah, we for the kids. Peabody Bicycle Club. Yeah. For the yeah. kids. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's awesome. Miss Clarice. Yes, Ms. Was, we worked yeah. hand in hand with her. Yeah. yeah, she she'd been there for years, yeah. and, and she put it all together. And we had and we she was wary of us at first. Yeah, and then I, that, I was just going to ask that. Yeah. So what I was thinking is that when you guys start this, and again the feelings against the police are the feelings against the police. Mm-hmm. We all we are all we all are aware of it. Did it take a while to where the people that started the program really engaged with you guys as this is working? Yeah, I yeah. They they had beautiful uh, facilities there for kids. They they built all these playgrounds and that. They were very very nice. And there was no, when we first started, you go by the playground. There was twenty five year old guys sitting on the swings. Yeah, you know, no kids. Right. And, you know, and they were okay. sitting there. You know, just you know, drinking beer and and doing whatever. And after just a, a short time, a couple months. There was kids playing on the playgrounds, and that's when these ladies who lived there would, would stop us and say, this is the first time I've ever let my kids go out on the yeah. playground. Wow. But I'm even talking about the, the, the executives of the housing authority. Well, you know how, and again, it's a plan at the beginning, and everybody doesn't know each other. But I think as it, it sounds to me, and I've, I've never, I, you guys have all been in housing, but it sounds to me that they're, when you start something, there could be some tension, and then you guys got right through that, and they were really acceptive of what you guys were doing. Well, I'm so glad John talked about the playgrounds because I invited Robert. Sharon didn't come down there a lot with us. She's busy, right. though. She was an attorney, hard-nosed woman, but, man, she was good. But I asked Robert, I said, why don't you come take we, – we it's our first summer there. I go, come on down take a look at what we're doing. And uh, when we drove by the playgrounds and he saw kids, it was after school, or it was summertime, so I, but you know, more people are out around two or three in the afternoon. He just, he said, I can't believe what I'm looking at. Nobody out there slinging dope. We, we just, you know, and it was, a, it was a lot of give and take, but I loved the neighborhood meetings. I, I loved our, uh, we did a big Turk, Demetrius Johnson came down. We had the best time two, three years before John and I left giving the turkeys away on that Saturday morning, uh, Saturday mornings before Thanksgiving. and Just uh, I, it was one of the neatest assignments I ever had. It, it was and, and you know, we've all had good jobs and, and, and Jimmy, you were down there, you know. It, right. Yeah, Jim Joyner well, was in charge. He was Actually, the, he was I, a supervisor he, he, after. I the, took, yeah, I, Robert Batts was there I, when I first took over. He was at the end of his career, and yeah. he thought you and Sean Dace walked on water. Yeah. He really—he was a really neat guy. He was a good he was dude. A neat guy. And he—he uh, he left. He was probably there a couple of months, and then someone else took over. But yeah, you guys cleaned it up like nobody's business. It, it was that. quick, and, and I just Brian Jost, who was one of the other you know first guys who were down there, first officers. He and I went to a, a Blues game, and. Some third, the third district was handling the the uh, Peabodys in LaSalle at the time before they changed district boundaries around, 
and these two coppers who rode that area, you know, we were talking to them, and and, and they said we were in the new housing unit, and this kid, young kid, cocky kid, said the police officer said, "You guys won't make it a week down there. They'll they'll drive you out. He goes they'll come, they'll they'll shoot at you, they'll kill you, they'll burn your house down." And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know of anybody in St. Louis, any you know, any criminals are burning cops' houses down or anything, but we said. You're wrong. We're gonna we're gonna get control of this place, and we went back and told that story the next day at roll call. and And Colonel Page, we have to give him a shout out too. He oh, just said, yeah. "I don't ever want to hear you guys. I don't ever want to hear a story of you guys taking a step backwards. You're the police down there. You're put there for a reason. We have a contract with the with the housing authority. You go down there and you take control, and we did. And and you know we just we did it with just good old fashioned hard police work, but. Yeah. We never, if you warn somebody that, hey, you you know, you don't, you know, we, we'd stop somebody and they live in another part of town and say, well, you can't be down here unless you live here or you're with somebody who lives here. And they're like, well, whatever. Well, next time we saw them, if they were standing out there, they got locked up. It was trespassing. And the circuit attorneys always did a great job. Of, yeah, we had meetings with them. And, yeah, and, uh, and it was Mike, Mr. Mike Mullins, Judge Mullins. Well, did, yeah. oh, wow. Didn't yeah. Colonel Ashok like to do the walkabout? Always a walkabout. Jerry is always walking through there, and and I'd I'd see him. He wouldn't tell us, but it'd be 1 o'clock in the morning, and I'd I'd see someone in a white shirt walking through the Peabody's at, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning. It'd just be Jerry by himself, just, you know, know, walking. Checking it out. They shot everybody down there, though. Everybody knew who they shot was. Tom, Father Nutt was on the police board. Grew up in public housing. He's McNutt. I'm sorry, Father McNutt. Just I just laughing because he's laughing that when you said his I name. Oh, I, I'm laughing just because I'm high. No, I ain't making fun of you. I'm making. Oh. No, it's but, me. Yeah, anyways, it's me. but he grew up in public housing, and he got Everett Page, who's one of the greatest human beings I ever met. He was my mentor when I was young. He's a lieutenant in the old eighth. The fairest man, tough guy. But they wanted to do this. Cheryl and Robert wanted to do it, and then it just came together. All right, but we cannot talk housing. So John and I see five years. Our, our beloved sister, Kim Haley, became one of our sergeants. We had, we, we had some transition. But we, we brought a very interesting character to our, to our unit named Ron Martin. Oh. Yes. Affectionately known as the Troop. The trooper. The trooper. I love and, trooper uh, stories. Oh, the trooper. And he's doing great. He's in Northwoods. He's he's on TV. He's a major. A he's a, he's a yeah. major, but he's also their chief spokesman. Well, he's, he's, in the co- he's in the co-op, North County Co-op. Well, what did I say? Northwoods. I'm sorry, sorry. Well, he was he chief was. of police chief. in Northwoods, and now he's in the co-op. He's what you call he's a, a character. He's yes, a character. He Tremendous policeman. Yes. Yeah. But yes. keep in mind what I said, Tom, earlier. We had we were dedicated. So if you had the if you had Peabody, that's where I expected you to be for your shift. All right, but unfortunately, sometimes in the Cochrane <laughs> and especially the Blue Meyer, you didn't have to stray far. That some of our people from Cochrane Blue Meyer selling dope a little outside, especially right. with all the heat we're putting on, well. and these guys would get away from the, the developments a little bit. So we troop has. Finally, about the third time, John and I have to have a talk, and I said, "Hey, let, let me tell you something, because you, you, he, some, you had to kind of get right in front of him to get his attention." He was kind of hard-headed. <laughs> I said, "I don't want to hear you anywhere other than what other development you're assigned to on that day. Don't lead the developments, sir. Yes, sir. You know, we're always respectful. So, John, you, you, I think you tell it better than I do. What happened probably within." Five well, days. <laughs> well, an officer got hurt and um, had to be rushed to St. Louis University Hospital. And uh, yeah, when that happened, it's all hands on deck at first. But once the officer gets to the hospital, everybody goes back to what they were doing. But you know, so anyway, well, trooper was, you know, assisting. You know, maybe he was blocking traffic somewhere, or whatever. Till the officer got there. Well, it was like two hours later. And everybody's back to doing their, their job in, in the complexes. And we're up in Jerry's office, and we got the TV on, and they're talking, the news is covering this officer getting hurt. <laughs> and then they showed a live picture from outside the hospital, and there's Trooper leaning against the wall, smoking a cigarette, <laughs> and he's just, whatever. So 
So Jerry's like, get him on the phone. <laughs> so we call Trooper, and uh, he picks up right away, and Jerry goes. On the news? Well, he's he's, he's, he's on the news talking to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this is a private conversation. It wasn't on the actual news, but it was shortly after. And Jerry's like, "Oh, he's real calm." He's like, "Hey, Ron, where are you at?" And he goes, "Ah, you know, I'm uh, I'm up here at St. Louis U Hospital." And he goes, "Well, you're supposed to be in the com- in complexes." And he goes, "Just by the way, why are you at the hospital?" He goes, "Well, I'm up here getting a scoop." And Jerry goes. I'm the commander. I get the scoop. You get your ass back in the complexes right now. <laughs> we don't need you to get the scoop. Oh, oh, scoop. Your memory's oh, terrible. That's exactly Trooper the scoop, baby. No, Trooper's then, getting the scoop. And then Trooper calls me like on the way back. And he's like, do you think Jerry's mad at me? Oh, yeah. He, was, he was screaming at you. So when it finally, it, we could go no longer. We had to part ways. I brought him in the office. John's there to notify him that he's going to be transferred. And uh, I had to pull out an old movie line. I don't know where it came from, Danny, but I said, Ron, this isn't personal. It's business. (laughs) 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 But what district do you want to go to? Because you're done with us. Yeah, he you know, though he always respected yeah. the heck out of you, even when he. Oh, he's a hard worker. And then when now. he, when I mean, he went, we made chief. chest of him, just like we do all of us. But he's a hard worker. Oh, when he went, to oh, he's, he's a great guy. At Muni, he uh, he wanted Jerry there. I went to. Um, he was a first chief in quite a while at Northwoods to make some promotions. He asked me if I'd be the kind of like the guest speaker. I, I was so proud of him. I mean, yeah. he, tremendous policeman, and we love him. Yeah, he's a great friend. Love him. So. Where'd you get the scoop after you transferred? <laughs> oh my gosh. Who gave you the scoop then? That's, that's why he brought Kim down. <laughs> oh, oh. Sergeant Kim Haley, good friend of the podcast. That's right. She'd get the scoop I'll for say you. this, though. When he would do a search warrant, he'd have SWAT do it. We would, and Steve Dodge was the commander at the time. His search warrants were always point on, and he would always thank us. And he never, I don't think he ever had a, a bad search warrant. No, you know, you're dead on. He was a good policeman. He, yeah, that you're dead on. And he was so. He's always. He always asked us, and he was so you know cooperative. And he always thanked us afterwards. And actually, Lieutenant Dodge or Chief Dodge always thought, "Oh, we do want troopers. It's going to be a good one." And it I have a soft was. spot in my heart for good policemen that are kind of knuckleheads. You're looking in a mirror, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the other yeah. thing I wanted to get to is, is Jerry. We had um, Harry Harry Hager on. And Harry is a legend, yes. as you know. Yes. Um, and he brought up a case where you were involved with the Petties. In my career, Sam Petty was probably one of the most prolific gangsters, maybe, if you want to use it. Uh, I don't know if Harry said, but he was on parole. He did an uh, armed robbery where he shot an off-duty policeman in New York City. He was a bodyguard for H. Rat Brown from the Black Panthers. Sam... Sam uh, and his family, uh, there's, there's different stories about this, but I think he, they kind of grew up around Prudhoe. I go, Sam killed a guy when he was young, much older, and, and uh, he was still a juvenile. And I don't, not, not much happened with that case. He was highly feared. Um, he was extraordinarily intelligent, but, you know, mean. And so I was undercover. Uh, Harry's memory's good. It was 1985. I was undercover. And uh, it started off just this whole investigation just started off as sort of innocuous. Uh, U- University City arrested a guy who um, had some dope on him. was a white guy. And he was telling them that he couldn't go back to prison. And um, I, I can't help you guys in University City. He goes, but I get my cocaine some, from a brother and sister in, in North St. Louis. So they called us. And Tony Wagner was our, my boss at the time and said, um, why don't you talk to this guy, see what he's talking about. So I did, and U-City was, they, they, this was a, somewhat of a low-level case, but this guy had a bad record. Got in the car with the guy, had some backup, drove up on North Taylor near Natural Bridge and made a buy in the alley from a, a woman and her brother. I'm not going to mention their names. But they uh, gave me their phone number and said, anytime we... we we can go up to the letter. You know, I think my first buy was like $50 of Coke. Coke was starting to make a little bit of a comeback at that mm-hmm. time. 
Yep. So, because heroin there was a lot of heroin in '85. So I didn't think that much of it. Um, figured out who they were. Neither one of them had a record. The, the the brother had a nice job, but they had a little coke connection. Went there back, and this time just dealt with the the young lady alone, not her brother. The third time I ordered up, which is what we would try to do, see if maybe we could find who's their connect. And uh, just just a little bit. It wasn't much money, hundred hundred fifty dollars, but they said, all right, we're gonna. She tells me we we got to go get a guy, and then we're, he'll get he'll get it for you. So I'm right. I didn't think there was anything suspicious about. It. Go up on Natural Bridge, meet a guy around her age, and we go up on um, Penrose. Nice house, south side of the street. We're not far from Fairgrounds Park, and I give him the money. He goes inside. Now while he's inside, I see guys coming out and putting in. A car, the trunks open, cartons of soda or or what looks like soda, whatever. And um, when he comes back to the car, um, I did what we will always try to do when we're in narcotics. I said, um, "Hey, I'd love to meet this guy." Uh, he goes, "He ain't gonna meet no white boys. I can tell you that much right now." I go, well, "I give you a hundred dollars if you." He goes, "He ain't gonna meet no white guy. I'm gonna tell you that right now." I go, "All right, all right." Um, so, but I copped the address. I could see the address from where I was, and um, I just making small talk. I go, um, what, what, what's what's the deal with all the cartons of soda or whatever? You know, just just playing around. He right. goes, oh, the, the family owns a market, and right there and then I remember a conversation I had with a buddy I went to college. He's an insurance salesman. We used to read about the Petty Heyman shootouts at the market at College of Carter and all that stuff, and I remembered. I hadn't been a policeman very long, and he called me. He goes, you'll never believe who I met today. I got an insurance policy with Sam Petty. lives over by Fairgrounds Park. He goes, he didn't tell me the address or anything. So, John, you know maybe better than anybody, they had files. It was so crude in the 80s, 70s, <laughs> in the 80s. I go to intelligence. I pull up that address where they had these files in these, uh, these uh, drawers, and the name that comes up from that address is Deborah Randall. And I had heard of Deborah Randall. She used to date a gangster in the, in the uh, Pruitt Igle named Merle Jr. Guy killed a lot of people and then he got assassinated. And um, there'd been some talk that she might have even done like a double murder in Atlanta. So I'm interested in that. So I wait till the next day because it's late at night and there's just some old guy smoking a cigarette in there to let me look in the files. And I don't remember who I talked to, but he said, you, you got money into what the address was? I said, yeah. He goes, that's Sam Petty's place. I goes, all right. I kind of thought, but Deborah, who's Deborah Randall? She's bad news, too, you know? So did one more buy from there. And then, and guys, it was so crude in those days. <laughs> we, we, you know, your backup... They, what the, the signal was if you're in trouble, if you're inside of a house and you're trying to make a buy, was throw something out the window or jump out the window or throw somebody out the window. You know, we didn't <laughs> do take a chance. The window seemed to be the third option. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I don't know, you know, we're not mic'd up or anything like that. And um, so, so the next buy goes good. Well, I order up because now. When DEA heard this and the FBI heard this, we got a lot of federal partners with us, all right? So everybody is on this. Everybody tried to make Sam Payne and had a lot of luck. So to do the third, I order up like two ounces, which would be somewhat of a big deal. And, they, and DEA gave us some money. Well, I didn't like, they changed the meat place. And I told Tony, I said, man, I think, I think they're going to rob me. I said, I, 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 he's, he's acting weird on the phone. By then, I'm talking to him. I, the girl just tagged along because I think she liked him. So they go, Jerry, we, we come as far as we're going to go with this anyhow. I had marked the bills from both purchases, so we know that's in there. I've ordered up. So my first search warrant was signed by Judge Anna Forder. First search warrant I ever typed up, Bob Tommy or Hef. There's another legend you guys should yes. talk to, but legend. Help me type it up. Get the search warrant. When when I show up, whatever the sign was, take your hat off if it's them, you know. And I do, and they swoop down on. So 
there must be 50 people that's got that house around because Sam, I mean, we used to read about these shootouts, but Sam Petty was nasty. And there's a lot of people out there. So they, they had pretty much wanted to get those, those two people out, out of the mix. They took them straight downtown. And uh, they were going to wait for Sam or Deborah or somebody to come out. They didn't want to do it hard. Plus, the big ornamental doors have been hard to knock in anyhow. So Petty comes out. They grab him. They say, come up here. And Tony Wagner <laughs> had told me uh, that night when I got to work, he goes, this is your last night undercover. He goes, this is going to blow up. He goes, so you're going to the street crew after this. Fine. So he said, come up here with the search warrant. So he's handcuffed. I sh- he is intimidating looking. <laughs> Sam Petty is intimidating looking. So I show him that, and he goes, I don't care what you do. It ain't my house. I go, well, instead of us knocking in the door, why don't you just give me the keys? They, they seen you lock the door. He goes, I don't care. If you what, Go do what you want. I ain't got keys, nothing. I go, all right. So I get a sledgehammer <laughs> like I'm going to do it. You know, it's going to be somebody like South Sea or some <laughs> big guy. But I grabbed his. And then he goes, all right, all right, all right. He goes, um, I don't live there, but I got a key. Whatever. We go in there. <laughs> so inside we had four AKs, two Uzis, two or three pistols, a couple other rifles, and a shotgun. The two ounces that I ordered up were underneath the bed. And um, they found money at College and Carter, where Deborah Randall is. And um, sound, the rest of the buy money from the other purchases somewhere where he had money hidden. He had over 10,000 rounds of ammunition all around, all kinds of guerrilla warfare wow. manuals, more science temple manuals, wow. bulletproof vests. There must have been 10 bulletproof vests in there. Joe Burgoon eventually, I mean, we're there a long time. You know, this started, you know, maybe around 8 o'clock at night, still like 5 o'clock in the morning. Joe Burgoon had a search warrant. They came up, dug part of the uh, basement up because they had word that he had caught the guy at burglarized his house and buried him in the basement. <laughs> yeah. That's how bad this guy was. But they didn't find any bodies. But anyways. Here, it was believable, I, though. Yeah, <laughs> darn right. You know, this, this, this was absolutely a fascinating case. And Harry, Harry could tell it just as well because we used Harry in the pretrial hearing, the bond hearing, I should have said, the bond hearing. But the next day, the guy that lived on Natural Bridge, Tony Wagner, we, he would not talk to us. He said, they will kill me. They will kill my family. I'm, you know, I sold, I sold dope to Leishak. That's his name. You know, you're telling me. The girl just said, I, I did everything through this guy. And uh, he wouldn't talk. Somehow, Tony Wagner kind of struck up a relationship with this guy's father. And he said, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to charge him tonight because he's thinking maybe this is the kind of guy we're going to use as a witness. I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't probably go to bed till I don't know, maybe 7 or 8 in the morning. And I'm not asleep an hour. And Tony Wagner calls me. He goes, get Tom, Tommy Clifford, get your partner, bring shotguns, get up to that house. We're going to take James Crawford to the bus station. He goes, somebody has already knocked on the door at this guy's house with some kind of a fake badge, asking that he wants to talk to him, said with the city police, you know. And the dad goes, he's not here. And he goes, when's he going to be back? And he goes, they're just driving around. And I guess what gave it away besides the fake badge was, I think they were in like a Pinto. <laughs> Who, was James James Pinto. Who was James Crawford? At the, the guy that was sold dope. Sold dope to him. Okay. Right. Did I mention that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying not to mention we'll that. All right, it was James Crawford. I let it out. Yeah. It doesn't really matter because you could look it up. It's, it's right. in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's out um, on the internet. It's out on the you internet. told me you might bring this up, so I kind of wanted to make sure I'm... But it was James. Uh, yeah. So we... So he's hiding under the bed. So I had heard all these stories. Harry Hager's already told me. Um, I think Sam lost the blasting caps to some dynamite. They were going to kill Joe Mocha, who's like the chief of police, uh, but, but when he was a detective. Uh, all the people that they killed, nasty killings. I mean, you can make a movie out of this, but a sordid movie. Anyway, so we got him to the bus station. And as Harry said, there was a lot of stuff that linked so Sam's on parole. He's got this terrible record. Anyhow, they're gonna, the feds are going to get him on these guns, not so much the dope, but the guns. One of the guns was issued to his ex-wife who lived on Thecla, named Barbara Petty. When they tried to, so she's got she's to face the music and say, 
how did the gun in your name get over there? Trying, you know, trying to get that possession. Besides constructive possession, trying to just nail it down. So she effed off the sheriff or whoever served the subpoena. On the day that she was to testify in the federal grand jury, she walked out to a car and somebody shot her 11 times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everything, wow. Harry's already testified about how dangerous these people were. And uh, one guy that really stepped up to the plate was an African-American who lived in the 5900 block of Code Brilliant, his gun dealer, who testified that um, Sam and Deborah Randall came, they had, Deborah had called him, but she, he, he didn't know until he saw Petty's picture in the newspaper who he was, he never said his name or anything. But he handled the gun, he asked all the questions about one, one of these AKs that was in there. And um, just, just showed how dangerous it was. <laughs> um, Don Wolf, Doris Black, who used to do a lot of defense work for the Morris Science Temple, started off with a case, then it went to Don Wolf. I don't know if any of you ever met him. You know, no, met no. a better guy. Didn't take any cheap shots on the stand with me. But really, my participation was. I mean, it's not like I ran I into dope. everything. Yeah, I bought some dope, and luckily the money, they didn't spend the money, so the money, you know, the buy money's in there. It's all pretty cut and dry. And I know there was some appeals. And then, as Harry says, he ordered up, he was moving heroin in. I Harry says Tokyo, my recollection was it was Nepal, but he is right. They wouldn't release the dope. We never got him. In the monster conspiracy case with the Moore Science Temple, Sam was the only one that didn't get uh, federally convicted on that. Wow. They, couldn't, they couldn't link him enough to, to them for that RICO case. So Lorenzo Petty is still alive. He wrote okay. a book. He's out. And oddly enough, um, they're on, he's on Facebook with one of his arch enemies, Dennis Heyman. I, I believe Heyman's a Christian now, but he's, you know, he's out. Um, Pete Gober, who we know uh, yep. died a few years ago, told me that they got Lorenzo with a gun. They were waiting for him to come out of the house. He didn't go anywhere without a pistol. And when they came up, this window was down, and Pete was on with the gun. He said, put your hands on the steering wheel. And he goes, Jerry, I'm telling you, that guy, I could tell the way he's looking at me. He's trying to think if he could shoot me before I could shoot him. He goes, it's I've never seen a colder stare. He goes, those guys were dangerous. Now, I'm, I've only been on, it's 1985. I came on at the end of 1979, so I, I barely have five years on. And I, they go, all right, go on in there and question Sam Petty. Okay. So I <laughs> go in there, and I read him his rights, and I said, um, with all due respect, you know, I got to ask you some questions. And he just looked at me and he just leaned forward and he goes, I don't have anything to say to you. And that was good. You know, that was good enough for Jen, you. you know when you good know. Good enough for you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good yeah. enough for me. Yeah. 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 How did that interview one. go? Good job. <laughs> He's talking. You know, it was riveting. You know what I, that I got out of all that? It's amazing. His very first search warrant. Yeah, I remember when I did one. my first that one. That was your first search warrant? I got a little, like, yeah, eight buttons yeah. of heroin. His very first search warrant gets Sam yeah. Petty. That is unbelievable. And a Forder's house. Yeah. My first search warrant, I hit the wrong door. But you know, that's amazing. That his very first search warrant hits probably the biggest dope that's man. A good that's unbelievable. That yeah. All right, so two years later. All right, so by the way, this is a fascinating trial. Fascinating. With all the security. I thought the, uh, the bond hearing was, was one thing. With Harry talking of Harry broke down four or five murders, including while they were trying to strangle a guy to death, last name of Cherry. And he the told bathroom. that story. Yep. He did he he tell did. that story. Yeah, he told that story. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, so, you know, the, the Post, the Globe, covering this, this is a big deal. And then, then the trial. These young guys were coming in there. And they, because I'm... I'm there. They sit right behind me, just staring at me. So I'm getting—I don't know them, but I'm, I'm getting good looks at all their faces. And uh, I find out that one of them, Sam's nephew—I don't know in what way—Charles Shern. And then I start asking questions, and he's like, "This guy's moving a lot of dope. He's, he's starting to make a mark for himself in the seventh, old Seventh District." Yep. So two years later, me and. Tom, Tom Clifford out there stumble on a little dope arrest. And a guy tells me about um, Charles Shern, and he's really moving a lot of dope. 
and and he's got a little idea of where the house was that he was going to, 4629 Kennerly. And then there's a murder at the Phoenix Lounge, right at Plymouth and Hamilton. So Homicide calls me later in that afternoon, just a guy, and they tell me the story that two guys rolled up on him, get out of a Cadillac, a stocky guy walks up to him, he's standing next to his girlfriend, Puts it, just just put a gun right there, and he said, you know how much you owe me? And the guy, before the guy could answer, he blew his head off. They got back in and left. He goes, we're hearing this could be a guy maybe named Fat Charles. And I go, that's Charles Sharon. They go, you know where you could find him. And I said, well, he's supposed to be a 4629 Kennerly. I go, let me get back to you. So I, <laughs> I parked my car somewhere, walked down the alley, because he had a high wood fence, and there's that freaking Calyx sitting Back with green calyx sitting in the backyard. So they get the search warrant. That's the first time I met them. They, we get the, so we get the murder weapon in a bag full of dirty, stinky clothes. You know, we get that, got some heroin and all that. They hold him with a, without bond, I believe, because it's a good, the, the gal, you know, says that's him and all that. And then um, before the, the tr- it goes to trial, uh, they call me and they said, you're never going to believe this. Um, she's, completely recanted her story. I said, really? They go, he's going to be out. So we're just letting you know he's out. He's going to be out. All right? And his henchman, little henchman, he had a crew of about seven or eight guys. So it took me about six months, and then I found out the story that a guy named Daryl Shearn, Charles' older brother and another guy, got this. This guy lived in the neighborhood, put her in the car, drove over to the Holdemont tracks, and they said, um, hey, you're going to either um, recant your story or we're going to kill you in the car. What do you want to do? She goes, well, I don't even remember what happened. You know, that kind of, <laughs> it's funny, but it's not so funny. Eventually, we get another guy, starts blabbing on him, and I watched this house, 6027 Suburban. I watched it for a month. And finally, um, I see Sharon and all of his people go in. There was like a movie. And they're looking around, and they go in, they go out. And uh, I told uh, Lehman Dobbins that, and I said, we got to hit this house. And we hit it in 87 on St. Patrick's Day. And um, he had a big ball of black tar heroin right by where he was when we ran out there. People were flushing heroin and all kinds of stuff. It was just wild. More guns, more money. Just this guy, they were rolling. And what ended up happening was that house and a couple other houses were issued in the name of Charles Taylor. And before we could get him to testify, they killed him. That was terrible. That really took the wind out of my sails. I really liked that guy. And, you know, it's just that legacy family, they were nasty. Hit it, Huggy. I'm checking my vital sign, John. My battle line's going to war again. Feeling the rhythm inside of my chest. All I need is just a pen. I know. Different places, but have the same name. 